The learning this morning, just for those of you who have never been here before, every week in synagogues around the world, we read a portion of the Bible called the Parsha, which means the portion. It's about 152nd. It's kind of like in order to finish the entire five books of Moses in a yearly cycle, in an annual cycle, you read uh, one portion per week. There are those who read a third of the portion. They conclude every three years instead of every year. We're going to read a third this morning, a little piece, and we're going to read a third of a third. That is, I guess, a ninth, whatever it is. We read a piece of the triennial reading, just a number of verses from this morning's reading in order to highlight and go deep in a couple of them in order to glean some meaning. The purpose of reading Torah is not just tribal and cultural, it is actually educational and pedagogical. It is to learn and glean from the storehouse of our people's wisdom ways to live a better life. Fewer regrets, more moments of living fully, and the Torah is chock full of that, believe it or not. And we have lived off of it for 2,000 some odd years of both highs and lows. This morning is no different. We're going to read some very beautiful verses, some challenging ones as well, but we're going to begin on page 826 with the end of chapter 10 of the book of Numbers. For those of you who need a little crash course on the book of Numbers, essentially here's the book of Numbers in a nutshell. We were at the mountain of Sinai. We received revelation. At the end of receiving revelation, we, we heard about a tabernacle, which is kind of a portable synagogue or temple precinct. It was a portable structure with beautiful skins and all kinds of amazing things happening. And the technology of the day happened there, meaning the prayer technology of the day happened in that tent. The Kohanim, the priests, and the Levites were the ones who worked in there, kind of like the ones who worked for the sacred institution of the tabernacle or the temple. As the book of Leviticus ends its description and its instructions for living in the tabernacle and working there, we begin the book of Numbers, which begins with a census counting all of the Israelites who were gathered in the desert of Sinai before leaving the mountain of Sinai and beginning many journeys through the desert before they finally arrive at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the five books, right before they enter the Holy Land. So here we are. Chapter 8 of the book of, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 10 of the book of Numbers is essentially, after receiving all of the instructions, we're good to go. We're ready to take off. So if you open up again at 826, verse 33. And they marched from the mountain of of the Lord, of God, of Yudhevavhe, the one who reveals. Derech Shlashet Yamim, three days journey. The Aron Brit Adunai and the Ark of the Covenant of Yudhevavhe, of God, Nosea Lifnehem, was traveling in front of them. Derech Shlashet Yamim, another three days. Latur Lehem Minucha. Such a strange phrase. Latur means to to reconnoiter, the kind of reconnaissance, like the, the ark was out in front like the drone, I want to mention that drone, but like a drone that was out gathering information so they would have a place to rest after three days, if you go three days without water in the desert, you're in big trouble. So the ark, this ark, or in their times, kind of raiders a lost ark, it was kind of marching out in front of them, looking to see where they might minuchah, they might rest. That's verse 33. Verse 34. Ve'anan Adonai. And there was also a cloud of God above them by day. 
min hamachane, as they traveled from the camp. So, anybody want to help me here? What, what just happened in the story? What just happened? The big moment. They left Sinai. What's it, why is that a big deal to leave Sinai? Because they just received the Torah, so now they're going. Kind of a sad moment. It's like a, a big moment. Sinai was a big deal. And it's kind of like most things in our lives that we end. Nobody stops and says, oh, that's the last time you'll be at Sinai. And the Torah itself doesn't stop. Right? We keep going. But just to like stop there for a moment. I remember um, Jonathan Safran Four in one of his books said, right, nobody ever tells us the last time your kid is going to take a bath with you in a comfortable way, right? Like, no, there's no, there's no, we interrupt this life program to let you know that was the last time your child said mommy to you in that voice before it changed. So here we are, we're at the mountain of God. If you're reading the Bible thinking, okay, thank you. Not sure if I ever read the Bible, most of us, but like, okay. They left the mountain of God and the rabbis who are attuned to this moment say, that was a big deal. To leave the source. So they left. They left that big place. They didn't turn around to say goodbye. They just left. And then this, if you're following along on page 826, and I hope you are, you'll see something orthographic, a kind of si a sign. There are a number of these little signs. So you see on the right side of the page, it's not on the left side, but in the Hebrew side, and don't worry if you don't read in the Hebrew, but on the right margin, right above the number 35, slightly to the left, at about 11 o'clock, there's an odd-looking shape of something. Anybody see that? You're definitely not seeing it if you're looking at me, unless you... Okay, here you go. Look at it. Here it is. Kind of a funny-looking mark. If you're not used to Hebrew letters, it's a inverted nun. There's, only, there's no other place in the Bible, in the five books of Moses, where there's an inverted nun in the empty space between one paragraph and another. And then, immediately following that inverted nun, there are these two verses. We just sang this, and Nora led us with this. It's in our prayer book. And it was when the Ark of God would travel, God, Moses would say, Arise, God, and let your enemies be dispersed, and all of those who hate you scatter. And then, when you rest, when the Ark would rest, return, God all of the myriads and thousands of Israel. And then another weird nun. Okay? These flying nuns, or these inverted nuns, these strange nuns. So, in our tradition, when something strange happens, it actually piques our curiosity. We don't fall asleep when something strange happens. We go like, oh, that's weird. Let me figure that out. So the rabbis, of course, were bothered by these nuns. And, of course, we spent almost an hour just touching the surface of these nuns this morning. The simplest meaning of these nuns is that they are diacritical, or they are critical marks made by Greek scribes, who were noting to the scribe who came after, these two verses don't belong here. So these two verses, which become codified in our weekly, monthly, 
yearly opening of an ark, these two verses that become a part of our prayer book, don't belong here in where we're going to be reading them. They belong somewhere else, which is remarkable because they're still there. Why didn't somebody come along and say, oh, these little nuns are critical marks to tell us not to scribe these two verses here, put them somewhere where they belong. They stayed. So that's the first thing to note, is that at least critically, they probably are a scribal mark. But, and, for the rabbis who actually believe God wrote the Torah, who believe that every part of the Torah, even if it is seemingly incongruous or discontiguous with another piece teaches us something important so they say this and hold on to your yarmulkes your hats everything okay they say that those two nuns are there not to tell us that these two verses don't belong here but to tell us something profound this two verse miniature is a book of Torah unto itself there's an opinion that states that's at least 2,000 years old that the five books of Moses are not five books of Moses, but rather seven books of Moses. And the minimum amount required to have a book in the Torah is 85 letters because these two verses have 85 letters. And it's that teaching that I want to go deep on right now. For those of you who have never been here before, I'm going to do a little teaching now and invite some of you also. If anything we say speaks to you, I'm going to invite you to come up to the Torah and to receive a blessing as Noah reads these verses, okay? Does it make sense? So what might it mean that two verses that are limbed by weird diacritical or weird marks represent a Torah book unto itself? And the verses themselves are not very profound at first glance. And when the ark would move, Moses would say, Arise, Yudevavhe. Arise, God. Let your enemies scatter. And when the ark would rest, Moses would then say, Return, God, all of the myriad or the thousands of Israelites. Why is that significant? Why does that deserve to be called one of the seven books of the Torah? What's the potential profound teaching of this early rabbi what are your thoughts did I, did I like completely blow you away or like you're not following me or like you guys just thinking I'll let you think okay let you think okay Janice the future of the Jewish people are intimated in these two verses how So, so Janice Tanin is saying, here in these two verses are encapsulated two profound prophetic verses about the future of Jewish history. We would not stay at Sinai. We would not be the recipients of a daily blog from Sinai about Revelation. We are about to embark not only away from Sinai, but also into history. And history, at least retrospectively, teaches us that the Jewish people were about to have trials and tribulations. It wasn't going to be easy. There would be many, many enemies, and there continue to be many, many enemies. And we would need the protection of our tradition of the Ark, whatever is in the Ark, to let us know, right? As the few, These are the two verses that say, right, that when you finally rest God, return all of those lost souls to us, 
return all of those lost moments of history. Two verses that are a bit dramatic, but in retrospect, accurate about Jewish history. And so in the slightly anachronistic, let's look back at the world, these two verses become the marching Torah of our people from that moment on, from the moment of Sinai on, Spanish inquisitions, pogroms, you name it. There wasn't a shortage of those who would fulfill these prophecies, that we would need the tradition to stand for us, to hold us in good stead in our exile, in our places of dispersion. Beautiful. Anybody else? Feel free to go where you go. Hi. This is an amazingly muscular statement. It's a muscular statement, okay. Imagine Charlton Heston saying that. Okay, one second. Okay, I got it. Yeah. So tell, okay, so it's worth underlining that here Moses tells God what to do. Moses not infrequently tells God what to do, but like, you're right, it has a certain muscularity to it. And, and why does it deserve to be its own one-seventh of the now newly minted five, seven books of Moses? Okay, so these, this could be a Torah. So that's what I'm asking you. What, if you carried this two-verse Torah in your back pocket, 85 letters long, you wrote it down, how would it come to fruition? How would you utilize this Torah in your life as you lived it? Like, why is this Torah? Alina Bloomgarden. So then it was saying, this isn't just, when, when it says this is out of place, really what it means is it's always out of place because it's always coming. These two verses always are what you use when you're, tra it's like a traveler's prayer, right? God, as I travel from a place of security to the place of unfamiliarity, be with me, let love be with me, let whatever disperses my enemies or those things that try to detract from my sense of peace and kind of in the Buddhist way, enemies here being read like, Ma, like Mara or any of these demons, greed, lust, confusion, God, let the source of life arise in me and disperse them in all my goings. And so that when I arrive also, I'm at peace and things return to me, right? I remember. Okay, beautiful. So Alina Bloomgarten's Torah. Yes. So it's saying, A, it's a portable religion. Right? Religion has to move with you. God is always with you. Although it's Moses who has the direct line to God here, perhaps it's always possible for any individual to have a more authentic and closer relationship with God. So say that one part again, because this is so amazing. Although here it's Moses directly in communication with God, but it is intimating that potentially... Potentially, uh, any um, Jewish being has it. Any person, Jewish being or others, any human can have this connection. So I just want to... What's your name? Mark. Mark. So Mark wasn't in our class this morning, right, Casey? We, you heard this? So Mark just said basically what we, what we learned. So without knowing this and without wanting to confuse all of you and hand you another bowling ball to hold right now but I just want to like there is a tradition that says that these two verses not only are they the smallest 
minimal amount that creates a quote-unquote scroll or book of Torah, thus making the five books into seven books. But there's a tradition that says that in a chapter from now, which many of you might not know, but some of you might, there's going to be a moment where God says to Moses, gather for me the 70 elders, and I want to give them your prophetic spirit. And in that story, in a chapter from now, there'll be two characters who prophesize in the camp without permission. Their names are Eldad and Medad. Eldad and Medad. From the same family, maybe, Dad, the Dad family. Um, Eldad and Medad. So they prophesize, and Joshua, who is Moses' assistant, runs to tell Moses that there are two unsanctioned prophets in the camp. And Moses says to Joshua, are you jealous for me? I wish that everybody had what I had, Moses says. Kind of a great moment. Not too patriarchal, but beautiful, right? It's like, I want to share. And there is a tradition that says, Mark, that these two verses, though they come before that story, are the remnant of the prophecy of Eldad and Medad, which is crazy. Because our tradition says that the whole book, the whole Torah is, is mosaic. It's Moses' prophecy, not Eldad and Medad. Since when do we have those two characters? And so what you're saying is, these two verses become Torah because they intimate, not only is religion portable, but that religion is democratic. Or at least prophecy is that each human being has a voice. For those who love numerology, 85, which is the number of letters that are in this little two-verse couplet, 85 is the Hebrew word peh in numerology that every human has a voice and that these two verses are kind of a way of saying let me hear you prophesize what's your Torah your wisdom what's your unique contribution I'm going to take one more contribution then I'm going to make a call anybody else want to float Linda So we want God to do her part for us. So we call out to her and she responds. Right? But she doesn't respond here. It's just us calling out. Right? So the response comes right, in, in some other way. But here Moses uh, calls out and um, yearning for her oversight, for her um, to initiate and ignite a sense of divine caretaking, as it were. I want to come in for landing with that and also try to weave together some things here for the call. For the open up this morning, I'd like to invite forward. The beginning of this was the leaving of the familiar and the journeying away from Revelation towards the unknown. And these verses, although there are little nuns or little letters or something brings our attention to them, they are easily glossed over. But in a moment, the people begin to complain. The very next verse after the verse uh, that we ended with and that Nora will be reading is the first verse in chapter 11 where the people begin to complain about lack, about wanting. And it's not uncommon when we're in a place of the unfamiliar to feel that fear easily becomes the container of fear creates a sense of what's missing, not what is present for us. 
And I feel very strongly that these verses are their own Torah because as we learned this morning with Batya, that time or the temporal plane where we are born is always starting and going, arriving and leaving, departures and arrivals. That's just the way of life. And these two verses you can have in your pocket to say that when I leave, I hope that God is with me. And by that I mean love, courage, presence, heart. And that when I rest too, that I hope that in my journeys I was able to, go, to see detours as destinations. That somehow when I was out and about, I was needed and what was there was needed from me, that I met what I needed to meet. So I wanted to call forward this morning those who are leaving something. Those who are leaving something and embarking on a new place. Those who are leaving a familiar, potentially uh, very nourishing place in their lives, but are about to embark on what they don't know. That if you really want to be abstract, that could be any moment. But of course, feel free to, to hear it as you want to hear it this morning. That something new is being called from you, you are leaving and you want your leave-taking to be a leave-taking that is done with compassion and with um, skillfully, with skillful upaya, with skillful means. If that's where you are this morning, uh, leaving, uh, please leave your seat and come up and arrive here at the Torah this morning for the first Aliyah. <laughs>